All right. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? I think, I think one of the ironies of that is the first version was like twice that long. And of course, we had to cut it to make room for the church service. So the... Um, uh, it's, um, and, and here's what's wild, and I'll mention this at the end of the service, but <clears throat> of course, with all those logistics in mind, that still is not what this is about, which boggles the mind that trying to hire an event coordinator to run a single church service would, would get you hung up on, is what would happen, and yet the, the, all the logistics are replaceable. Like we can, we can take all the logistics and toss them, and still what we exist to do would still be what we would be doing. And so it's a, it's just a, it's a wild picture. I do want to give you guys a couple of pieces of information. One, some of you are asking, I thought he was going to be gone by now. Like, that's what you're <laughs> thinking right now. You're like, isn't he supposed to be gone? Um, after today, yes. Uh, so uh, my sabbatical starts tomorrow and uh, today I'll be preaching. And then the next sermon, Lord willing, that I will be preaching will be March 20th. Um, and so between now and then we've got six uh, different people coming in and speaking and sharing and, and teaching. And uh, <clears throat> so it'll be, um, I think it'll be an awesome time. Many of these are people who you know, some from the church and some from outside or some from the community. Um, Lord willing, next week, Gary Brandenburg will be here to preach. And many of you know him and love him and uh, as a local pastor, and he's been a mentor over the years. And so um, I'm just excited uh, for you guys. And so next, this actually will be the Sunday that I probably will not get to see because I'll be um, going off into isolation all by myself, um, just me and God, and uh, that's a scary thought for me and probably for you too, and so uh, be praying for me in that. I also want, uh, by the way, the uh, not so subtly Jeff Hunter in the first service came up and, and he gave me this carved lion um, from Africa and said, don't, don't think Aslan, think Simba. Simba went and then came home. So take that with you and come home. So the... Uh, uh, it's amazing. Church people are often very, uh, have a lot of PTSD when it comes to pastors taking sabbaticals because they've experienced a pastor going off and then never coming home. And so um, that is not the plan. Um, I'm not interviewing with anybody. None of that stuff's happening. If I don't come back, it'll be because the Lord took me. So um, uh, I, I will be, uh, I'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, also want to let you know with Track and Royal Family Kids Camp, which is such an exciting ministry to be a part of, um, the numbers Josh gave you are literally our numbers. These are international ministries. So I real quickly looked up, uh, uh, for example, with, uh, with TRAC. They have 42 camps that run just around the country, uh, just in the United States, uh, all over the country. Royal Family Kids, they didn't have total numbers on their website. Royal Family Kids Camp, 45 states they run, 13 countries. And since 1985, when they founded, 136,000 um, uh, foster kids have been through their camps and stuff. And so our thousand of that is such a great uh, thing for us to be a part of. I'd love to encourage you, if you do not have a ministry that you're engaged with and a part of, um, this is a great one. Um, and, uh, and also just for you to get to celebrate this morning, uh, in the first service we had a young man named Jackson come up and after the service to say he wanted to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And so I got to pray with him, which what a great going away present um, uh, for a few weeks to get to pray with uh, this young man to put his faith in Christ this morning, and there's nothing more powerful than that than being there for that transition from lost to saved. Um, so I would encourage that for you as well. As when he and I prayed together, I prayed. You know what? There were probably a bunch of people who should have come forward in the first service, but only Jackson had the courage to do it. And so I would encourage you as well to be thinking about that. I'm going back 
Uh, so back on the 9th, I started by asking, are there, any, are there any ideas of the types of things that you love about this church? And, and here's some of the ones you guys mentioned. <laughs> you mentioned how hospitable we are, and I talked about that. You, you, you talked about how you love that we led from weakness and honesty, and so talked about that. Um, that we try new things, that we innovate, and that we're a discipleship-based and equipping-based church. And even though we're big, we can feel small uh, if you get involved. And so those are some of the things you guys threw out. What were some of the other things maybe that you love about this, uh, this body, this church, um, being a part here? What are, some of the, uh, what are some things that maybe you would add to those that already been listed? Okay, generosity. Yes, this is one of the cool things about our church. So that's dead on. That's number two. <laughs> Um, this is a generous church, it's, um, and I actually very much so identify with the Apostle Paul in this. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, we have this passage where Paul admits to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were a relatively wealthy church, and he admits to the Corinthians um, that they have, um, that he's been bragging about them already. And he's actually a little, a little like, so make sure you kind of cover for me on this, guys. <clears throat> there, he's going around gathering a gift, a financial gift, to take to the church in Jerusalem in particular, where there's lots of persecution, where they're probably literally being starved out by the local government. So he's gathering money from different churches of, local, uh, of different churches around the area and bringing them back, to, bringing it back mostly to Jerusalem and some other places. And in, in 2 Corinthians, he admits, I've already been telling everybody how generous you guys are and that I know you guys are going to be really generous with the gift you give, you know, so don't, don't leave me hanging here is kind of what he says in 2 Corinthians. Um, and he encourages them as well. And I realized reading through this, um, I do the same thing with you guys. I do the same thing with this church. When there's a ministry opportunity and people come in and they say, do you, do you think these, that your people will be willing to invest or engage or serve or give? I always just say, try it. Test them on this. I'm like, you'll be, you'll be stunned. Like, I promise you're going to walk away scratching your head. When a few years ago, when the Compassion National guys came and, and he said, how many, how many of these little booklets do I need to bring? How many kids do I need to bring? And I said, whatever number you've got in your head, lots more than that. And so they brought in a whole bunch. He kind of laughed at me. They brought in a huge, big old two or three boxes full of those kids. And they had to go back out to the van a couple of times and almost ran out entirely of all the ones that they had brought to Tyler much less just brought into the church. At the time, the gentleman who was in charge told me that in, in their history, South Spring was the, had taken on the second largest number of children on a single Sunday morning ever. And, which, and they, I mean, they go to mega churches, like giant several thousand people churches, and that we were the second ever. And, and I just, in my head, was like, yeah, I mean, I told you to bring a bunch. I'm telling you, these are some crazy, generous people. It's really, it's really wild. Um, like you guys not getting to get any of Dr. Dennison's books a couple of weeks ago. First service just bought them out because, and I knew that would happen. How many books should we bring? More, more than whatever you think. I'm telling you, bring more. Um, uh, one of my first experiences of that, and some of you have been here long enough to remember, we had a foster group come. They needed backpacks, and they said, we're going to bring backpacks and sell them for $25 a piece, these $10 backpacks, $25 a piece to raise funds and then to get backpacks for these kids. Could we do this? And how many should we bring? And I said, all of them. I'm telling you, bring them all. However many you can get your hands on, bring them. And sure enough, in, by the time I got out of the room, the guy comes walking up like, well, I should have listened to you and gotten more because they, they were all gone in five minutes. 
Like people came up just like, how many, how many are left? I'll buy all the ones that are left. And other people going, no, I want to buy all the ones that are left. So it was, it's, it's, you guys are a generous church. Um, it is a wonderful thing to get to experience that. The Apostle Paul said it this way, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's one of the mind-boggling things about this church. We have approximately 562 households represented in this church, representing about 1,290 members in, in the database. Uh, many of those are like totally fake names that teenagers have created for their name tags up in the building, so we don't know how many we actually have. And some of you have signed in six, eight, ten times, and so we're trying, to, we're trying to clean that up. We don't know how many people we actually have here, but... You know the old 80-20 rule that, that 80% of the people are, who give and 20% you know, 20 of the people give and 80% of the people don't and all that kind of stuff? Actually, at this church, out of 562 households, 454 of them gave a tax-deductible donation last year to the church. That's 80.8%. So 80 per, we have 80% of, of you guys give of the, of the number of families in the church, which is the reverse of the typical. Um, and I'm not in any way surprised by that. Uh, we don't even talk about the money that we give away because we do it so much in this church. That's why once a year I like to talk about it just to remind you that, for example, a couple of years ago, uh, Paul and his team worked hard to get uh, PPP money from the government <clears throat> that, that Donald Trump wanted nonprofits especially to get so that we could make sure it got out into the community. And uh, we got $230,000 from the government for that money, and we have now given all of that away to other local churches um, and ministries, in fact, almost all local churches. It was a huge help, especially during this time last year, um, during the snowpocalypse, when several churches had pipes blow and a lot of damage done in their church buildings, and we were literally able to pay all of their insurance deductibles, I don't know, for a bunch of churches. Um, we were able to give, what did we end up giving First Baptist total toward their yeah, 64000 So the church that planted us, that gifted us with, I don't know, $14 million worth of property to set us up at the church, we were able to donate $64,000 to their giving campaign from that, which is um, a blessing that we get to be a part of that. Um, this year, we sent $369,000 in addition to that. $369,000, 232, $369,232, $0.51 um, to Mission Endeavors. Uh, roughly 16% of our annual budget was given away to other mission endeavors. Um, we now, we've now raised our number to 15% that we do annually of the money that comes in. And several more thousand to benevolence, scholarships, Thomas Ministry, um, Thomas Ministry, which is for families with chronically ill children, etc. Um, you guys are so generous that in the last year, <clears throat> you also donated at least 150 Yeti cups, um, somewhere between 75 and 100 Bibles, uh, these are things y'all left behind. You didn't actually donate these. Um, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pairs of reading glasses that you have donated to site.org um, unintentionally. Um, just by leaving them behind, they go straight to site.org. Um, <clears throat> Ten of you donated credit cards, <laughs> which was really handy for making budget. Ten to 15 of you donated car keys, and around 20 of you have donated cell phones um, to the church. Um, it is a, um, you guys as a church, you pay your staff uh, very appropriately. 
uh, very appropriate salaries, sure, but, but excellence and love and care and freedom to minister. Um, it, that's, that's really the power. That's why the staff uh, tenure is so high, is just because this is a great place to minister alongside everybody else and to equip people. Um, uh, and, and we <laughs> love when you let us know how to love you well. Um, that's one of the things we love to do. You're generous enough to have send your staff on sabbaticals, your ministry staff on sabbaticals, which is a huge investment in the kingdom. Um, and other pastors are always blown away by how generous you guys are with that. Um, the Apostle Paul encourages us in this way. And, uh, wait, excuse me. Paul's attitude comes from Jesus, let me phrase that, who says in Luke chapter 6, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, <clears throat> will be put in your lap. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. Um, and we'll talk about, uh, in a minute, some of the miracles of stuff that we've experienced, that I've gotten to experience in my life. And it is amazing how often they are somehow connected to finances. Um, this is a place where Americans have to risk. We put a lot of faith in our finances, um, inappropriately so. We put a lot of trust in that when we shouldn't, and when we are willing to risk that in Jesus' name, very often that's when He provides miracles. Um, okay, good. It is, it is a huge blessing to be a debt-free church that as we are about to em- embark on another capital campaign um, to improve our student ministry, expand our student ministry space, which is needed um, to actually build in some adult education and some office space for staff because we're scattered all over the property um, and then to improve this four-year area, to redo some of this four-year area and stuff. We, you guys are so generous in the way you give, and so many of you continue to give to building, even when we're not building, to give to that campaign. And then with overages and stuff like that, we get to start a capital campaign with over $500,000 sitting in that account. And so that's a great way for a church to stay debt-free, is to be able to start like that. So you may be someone who's like, I know those, I know those are needs, I believe in those needs, I'm ready to start giving now. Great, you don't have to wait. There's a tab on the giving thing on the website. If you're the kind of person who wants to see all the drawings and the drafts and the plans and all that, that's great. That'll come up sometime soon after I get back um, from sabbatical, Lord willing. But um, uh, that is coming. So that's a good thing to be investing in as well uh, in all these good things. All right, good. Um, One more, maybe? Or somebody else? What's that? Okay, so this is one that that we mentioned in the first service last time, but we didn't get here, and that's how we teach here. So let's, uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes in a second going over in detail that question of why we teach the way we do, how we teach the way we do. Um, and so in a minute, that was I was reserving that for today, and I want to, so I'm about to get to that one. That's exactly right. We, we fight hard for that. I will say, I think very much so, more and more of the church is going, being a part of God's church is going to feel like hanging on a ladder in a culvert and with water rushing past us, and we just it's going to take all the faith that we have just to hang on. And I think that's coming, and that's why we need to hang on. We want to be standing when the battle has swept over us. We want to be one of the few who is still standing, um, who doesn't fall under the pressure that's probably likely to come, as Dr. Dennison said, and as we've been saying for years, um, especially with First Peter and Daniel. Any others? Inclusive. Okay, Inclusive. Um, what do you mean when you say inclusive? We don't okay, um, let's put that, you know, we talked about leading from weakness and honesty um, on the 9th, and I think that falls under that. 
Um, but I think there's another way that it applies, and I'm going to look at number three for this one, which is being a blessing to others. One of the ways that we do that, that we are not exclusive, is that literally this property, as I said, which was a gift to us from God and First Baptist Church, they just signed this over to the new entity, South Spring Baptist Church, um, and uh, which is just phenomenally generous. We come from a generous church and have lived that out well. Um, and so <clears throat> we have this, this property is used a lot. Um, you may not know that. So, for example, um, uh, let me jump down to... Um, so you may remember that with the Gather Again crusade or, or campaign that we did um, here in the community, that was us. You may or may not have known that South Spring was the one behind that. Um, but we had 123,000 page views for the Gather Again website in the hopes that we can encourage people to get back to church. As soon as you're ready, get back to church. This is important. We ran ads and all kinds of stuff. Um, we still have, with our Facebook videos, we average about 500 people a week. Uh, watching the sermons, so there's probably people out there right now watching. Um, but think about the guests on our property. So, for example, Camp Gladiator, which meets here several times a week um, to do exercise stuff here out in the parking lot, they they met approximately 400 times on our property in 2021, representing several thousand people. Um, we had another 266 non-church events last year. Non-church events hosted on our property. So keep in mind, there's only 52 weeks in a year. So 266 non-church events. That's, that's like five a week on average that we're representing out, out here, representing several thousand, maybe eight to 10,000 more people. Just not, again, non-church events. And we don't ever charge for those. Um, this is, we have been given this beautiful, awesome place. We welcome people to come in. If they can sign that they won't teach anything against our statement of faith, they're welcome. Um, and so we had 33 birthday parties hosted here last year. Many of you guys hosted birthday parties here, again, at no charge, and as great of facilities as any place else. <clears throat> we have lots of ministries, especially Rebecca and Chris Sherrod's influence in the community and others has led to a significant increase in, other of, in the number of ministries that meet here, that they have training here, they have events here, they have re staff retreats here, all those types of things, board meetings here. Um, it's, just, it's just awesome to get to be invested and engaged with all the different things that God is doing here. Um, counselors get trained here. And for example, this last year, a church met on our property for most of last year. Um, they just met after we were, or about the time we were leaving, they were starting to meet. So those are really normal. We have so many different people who work on the property. Uh, maybe most famously is Chip Pittman and his mowing team. Um, that is, is why it looks like it was done by people who do it out of their overflow of their heart, um, because it is. They, they love that. Um, 1 Peter 4, 8-10 through 10 says this, if you remember it when we talked through this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Um, and maybe most potently, the one that we refer to a lot when it comes to this awesome place that we have. Luke 12, 48 says this, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. From him to whom they trusted much, they will demand the more. We have been given so much. And we want to always faithfully and generously be, um, be giving more even than we're given. So anyway, this is a great place. And you're right, part of why we have... 
you know, funny signs and why we dress casually and all that kind of stuff is to communicate to people. We don't take ourselves so seriously. We take Jesus very, very seriously. In the midst of the joy of worshiping and serving Him, that's serious business for us, even in the midst of the joy and even humor in that. But recognizing we're, we're not here to sell ourselves, we're not that impressive. Um, but He is, and that's, uh, that makes it easier to invite people in. So if there's anything else, um, we did not do the shepherd, servants, and owners conversation. The fact that we are a church that, that um, serves um, one another, that we invest in one another, that we are taking care of one another um, is vital to us, that this is a church where Hebrews 13 is lived out, where being on staff here, being a pastor here, being an, an elder here, being a leader here is a thing of joy. Um, it's really a fun place to serve and to lead. Um, and that's not the case for a lot of churches, and I don't know why that is. I know we're all broken. I know we're all messed up. And maybe just the fact that we're allowed to talk about that so openly means we don't have to fight for some kind of cause or agenda that really doesn't apply. Um, it's, it's wild. It, it is so easy for us to lose track, um, to lose uh, alignment with what God is doing. And so that's a, uh, that's a great blessing. Let me see if there's any others that we've missed so far. Um, teaching, which I'm going to come to in a minute, generosity, the beauty of this place, shepherds and servants and owners, hospitable. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that pretty much covers them. So I'm going to jump over to the other section um, uh, of what I'm talking about today. Perfect. Um, and by perfect, I mean I've got no chance of finishing on time. All right, so um, we do work with a family mindset. I think it's vital that we recognize, as we talked about in detail last week, um, I love this quote from Sinclair Ferguson, and this is a concept that's been co-opted by people in the government, and I, I just don't agree that it takes a government to raise a child. I do believe it does take a village. It takes a lot of people. It takes a community to raise a child well. I mean, you do it on your own, but to do it well, it takes a community. Um, Sinclair Ferguson years ago, uh, the Christian teacher said, two Christian parents are not in themselves adequate to rear one child for Christ, and they were never meant to be. I think there's something to that. I need you investing in my children, engaging with my children, and, and teaching them and modeling for them what God is like. In addition to Ginger and I doing that, they need to see that in other people's lives. And we talked about that last week. The church itself, what we do and why we focus in in January on the church is to make sure we're in alignment. There's, there is a, a clear line from the time Jesus founded his church till now. And it's so easy to get out of alignment, to fall to the left or to the right um, of that alignment. And so why we do in January, we come back and we look at the past and we look at the future is to help create that line between us and what Christ has been doing for the last 2,000 years with His church. And after all, is His church, not yours, not mine. It's His church. And so trying to figure out how do we stay in alignment with that one, at least once a year to stop and carefully as a church check. Okay, moving forward, moving back, are we plowing in a straight line? And is that where we're, suppo is that where we're supposed to be? Um, my good friend Matt Lance, who's a pastor in Dallas, many of you know, <coughs> in his teaching on this passage, um, from Acts chapter 2 says this, the beginning of the church was indeed the beginning of something entirely new, the likes of which the world has never seen since. It was not a fad or a trend or a cause because it did not originate with humanity. It was, and still very much is, the work of God. 
Thus, the establishment of the church should not be considered a human accomplishment as much as it should be considered humanity's response to the movement of God's Holy Spirit. So we focus on the basics and we look back at those. We model after the pattern laid down by the early church. Again, obviously we're not going to do it exactly like the early church did. We're not in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. We have a different culture. We have different ideas. We have different experiences. And yet, we do want to be in alignment with the fundamentals. We find those taught very clearly in Acts chapter 2, what they did. The key, yes, what they were doing matters. Sure, the logistics are important. All those types of things. But the key was what they were doing, and even more so, in whose name they were doing them. So here we have Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This was the early church. This was what it meant for them to gather together, was to do these things. And I think it's cool that the Bible gives us this, this nice It's not a prescription or a proscription, but it is a beautiful pattern of how we can live this out, and we want to stay in alignment with these things. Um, Bob Livesay, when we we and I were talking about it, recalled Chuck uh, Chuck Swindoll had a teaching on this. It was very basic. This is the kind of wife the church is meant to be. We're the bride of Christ. This is the kind of wife we're supposed to be. Worship, W, instruction, fellowship, evangelism. Those are really the four things. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. That's the basic of who we are. Um, and what, how we're supposed to live these things out. What does it mean that they were devoted to them? Well, here we are to that idea of being trying to be swept away, that the pressure is that we would be swept away. Um, stuck firmly is what devoted means, to adhere with strength, to hang on and not let go no matter what the pressure is. So they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And in many ways, the breaking of bread and prayers are an extension of the idea of fellowship. they listened, they learned, and they applied it. They listened to the teachings of Jesus Christ through his apostles, through the ones who he sent, to the ones who were risking death with this. These were guys who experienced this. They experienced what they say they experienced with Jesus Christ. This wasn't like, we hope it's true. They experienced it. They know whether or not Jesus was alive and whether he was dead and whether he was alive. And then the way they live proves they believe they experienced that, all of them. So they, they, we want to listen to them and learn from them and apply them. That's why we study things like First and Second Peter. This is one of the apostles. We have three pillars at this church, hospitality, discipleship, and devotion. And the word devotion comes from this passage, that this is what we're devoted to is these very same things. Talking about studying the work of the apostles, anyone can do it. In fact, everyone is supposed to do it. You all have copies of the Bible, and they're in a language that you can speak and that you can read. This is, this is important, and we all need to be doing this. We teach at least two or three times every year the basics of what's called hermeneutics, the art and science of, of, of studying when God gives a revelation. Hermeneutics, we learn to observe what's there. We learn to interpret what's there, and then we have to apply what we learn. That's actually what we're doing every Sunday morning, pretty much, is observe interpret, and apply. It's one of the things I love, um, even with all the, the things surrounding it that I do enjoy about the, 
the chosen um, TV show is that they do a good job of observing and interpreting. And then when we look at them, that urge in you to go, how should I live that out? That's that urge to apply God's Word when we see it, when you read it, when you study it, uh, observing it. I love about us that we are a fellowshipping church. We recognize that we were honestly broken. We have deconstructed our faith in ourselves, and yet we still love one another. You know you're going to let me down. I know I'm going to let you down, and we both know the truth about that in each other, and still we love each other. That's the honest type of love that we're called to. We know that we are His church It doesn't depend fully on us. None of us is the foundation for His church. He is. So if we break, if we fall, if we collapse, His church is fine. It's not going anywhere because it's not founded on us. If you're building your relationship to the church on humans, stop that. Don't do that. They're going to mess you up. The breaking of bread certainly applies to donuts and breakfast bars. Um, absolutely. I think that is absolutely the case. It also applies to communion, which we take together most Sundays. If you want to join us um, at 8.40 or when we do it in here, all those apply. The understanding of that, which we talked about last time. Um, and the prayers. One of the things that, that we want to do more and more as a church is be faithful to pray. I know many of us pray. You pray at home. You pray Uh, where you are. You have time every day in prayer to talk to God and listen to God. One of the main values of the sabbatical for me is to make me be still and to make me be quiet. Um, I'm not long enough to focus in on God's priorities and listen to Him and talk to Him. That's really hard for me to do. Um, I I have, as as my wife will say, I have a phobia of being bored, and it's hard. I find me talking to God boring. Me talking to God is boring. It's boring to me, Um, I don't know if it's boring to him or not, but it is to me. And so I have to, in faith, trust to spend that time to listen to him um, and to hear what he has to say. And I think that's sometimes we miss out on the next section of wonders and signs because of our lack of listening, our lack of prayer. Wonders and signs, when we do experience miracles, they always seem to start with us listening. I don't know about you, but they always do in my life. Um, And and so when you say, we, we actually do something with our staff where we um, at the end of our staff meetings every week, someone answers a question, you know, your favorite book or who you'd like to have lunch with or in all of history, like that kind of stuff, those type of questions. And the most recent one was, what, what miracles have you experienced in life? And it's always interesting to ask Christians this question about the miracles in their life because sometimes, especially in the evangelical world, we're kind of hesitant. We're afraid of sounding a little bit crazy. Um, I won't go through the list that I gave the, the staff just for the lack of time, maybe another time, but understand I'm a skeptic. I love explaining away things like miracles. That's what I do by nature is I explain them away. And yet, despite the fact that, of course, it's a miracle that I got to marry Ginger, of course, it's a miracle that I did not make an error that cost me the opportunity to be in ministry, Um, the fact that I survived my childhood, these are miracles for sure. Um, In fact, I have several stories, especially from my childhood, of uh, that, that really is a miracle that I survived my childhood. Um, And I'm not just talking about getting in trouble with my parents. I mean, like, natural events that should have killed me. Um, uh, But it's intriguing when we're listening to God and we respond to that. Just a couple of examples that struck me over when I was over at Bethel across the street as a member. There was a day when we wrote out our tithe check and, and we're about to turn it in. And I feel like God is saying, don't give that money to the church today. I want you to give it to that single mom over there. My that's weird. Okay, fine. I mean, okay, tear up the check, change it out, put her name in it. 
walk over to her and go like, I hope this isn't insulting in some way, but I felt like God was saying to give you today's tithe check instead of to the church. So here you go, which turned out to be, to quote her, almost to the dollar, what she was behind on paying her bills and would have had her lights turned off that week. Um, and that's a miracle. Just that I would, God would put that on my heart. That's a miracle, I believe. Um, uh, the fact that at this, at, over there at one point, we were driving through and leaving. There was a single mom who was there and uh, had a son. <clears throat> and Ginger, Ginger, you know, being the sweet, nice, friendly person that she is, is like talking to her and, and getting to know her and says, you know, sometime you ought to bring your son over. You know, your, she had a preteen son. Bring him over to go fishing with us or something like that. We have a pond behind our house. And she's like, that's so sweet. Thank you for that. And we're driving out. And Ginger says, could you go back around? So I pull back around and, and stop. And Ginger says, hey, I just want you to know, like, I'm I, was, I know people just say that kind of thing. I wasn't just saying that. Like, we could do it today. Like, we, we really would like your son to come fishing at our house sometime. And the mom starts, you know, the faucet comes on, and she starts crying and says, in church I was making a list of all the things I wanted to be able to provide for my son and knew that I probably wouldn't be able to because I don't have the resources. And one of the things on the list this morning was taking fishing. I think that's a miracle. <laughs> I think that's God speaking into my wife's heart to go make that second trip back around to stop and say, Listen, I know people say that kind of stuff and they don't mean it. I actually, actually mean it. <coughs> Maybe one of the most important ones in my life was as a college student, for the first time in my life, I got some money. I got a check for $600. And, and I told God, I'm sorry, I'm not tithing on this. Like, I've, I've always tithed before. I need all this money. I'm not tithing on this. I need all this money right now. And so I'm not, I'm not giving you your 10%. I'm sorry. Like, bummer, right? <laughs> <coughs> and so I parked and I went to the class and I came back and I had missed the sign that said, um, hey, the band is practicing, so you need to not be parked here by 4 p.m. or your car will be towed. And so my car had been towed and the price to get it out of, to get it un, out of hawk, whatever they put it, right, was $60. <laughs> that exact number, that 10%. And when, I, when he told me the amount, I'm literally standing there like, how much is it to get my car out? I'd said it that morning. And he goes, it's 60 bucks. And I actually said, of, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> this is, a, this is um, an important lesson that I think, you know, and I, I do think for me that was a miracle. That exact number I needed at that age to be told by God, listen, it's my money. I can get it if I want to. Like, I can, <laughs> I can certainly make sure you don't have it. Um, and I think that was a message, uh, you know, again, I'm a psychologist. I can explain all these things away as coincidences or, or whatever. And I have another half dozen examples that, that I could give, whether it's me specifically telling uh, a camp where I wanted to speak very badly and had been trying for years to get in to go speak and telling them no, because I feel like God laid that on my heart. And if I had gone to speak there, I would have been there the week that Holland was born. Even, so God told me no, and I told him no, and I was really mad about it. And I was glad I got to be there for Holland's birth. That's one. Um, the fact that we had a, a client of mine stop and pray, set, tell me when I came to counseling one day, hey, um, I just want you to know God woke me up in the middle of the night to pray for your child. I'm like, well, that's, that's super sweet. I mean, we're not, we're not pregnant, but thank you. That's very, very sweet. Well, we were pregnant, and that was Mark, and it was about the same time. She was woken up in the middle of the night to pray for our son at about the same time we had lost the first two children, our first two pregnancies. That's a miracle. Those are signs and wonders. They, they may not be the regrowing of an arm or the raising of a dead person, but maybe we miss out on those just because we're not listening. 
Maybe we're, we're not willing to risk the things that matter. It's amazing me how many, when I looked back at the miracles of my life, involve money in some way. That if we're faithful and if we'll listen and if we'll trust God with the things that He's given us, how often He will engage with that. I'm not a health and wealth teacher, but it is fascinating to see the evidence of His mighty hands in the ordinary and in the extraordinary. Acts 2, 44 and 45, and I'm going to wrap up because I've gone long. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It is amazing how often the miracles we experience are when we are generous and when we listen. Money and time and foolishness are the three things that we hate to risk in America. We hate looking foolish. We hate risking our money. We hate uh, listening and giving up our time. So the fact that we learn to love and help one another, that we share and are generous, we share in our gifts and our resources, is so much of what the church is all about. So I want you to stand with me as we wrap up our time here. Um, it is a great miracle to get to work in a church setting, to get to serve in a church setting. Um, it, is a, it is a wonderful thing that God allows for this kind of stuff. Sure, all the logistics are impressive and hard to believe when we think about them. But amazingly, they aren't the most amazing aspects. Maybe then it's the love we have for one another, the way we invest our lives into one another, one another's children, families, ministries, and even financial success. Maybe all the amazing things we accomplish together as the church, the billions of dollars given, the lives that have been sacrificed, the hurting people who have been helped, the struggling who have been supported, the hungry fed, the ignorant educated, the prisoners visited, the injustices faced down, the cultures changed, and the thirsty given a cup of water. But you know that actually isn't it either. Those are what and those are how, and sometimes those are even who, but I'm thinking of the why. Why do we do these things? Why are we church? So we'll close out our time with God's or the very words of God. For all who are led in the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters. If you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. <clears throat> Who knows what kind of suffering or challenges we may face. Um, by the time I get back from sabbatical, we may be at war. Or we may just be facing yet more fear-mongering. All of it is the world, and we don't trust in the world. What we trust in is in the Word and person of Jesus Christ. That's who we are, and it's the foundation of who we are. So now as we're about to be led to sing, I hope you will sing. I hope you'll pray. Um, we actually now have a life group that meets on Sunday night to do nothing but pray. Um, it, it about doubled in size from the first week to the second week. I would love to hear when I get back that it's doubled every week. Um, I'd love for there to be a bunch of people there praying on Sunday nights together, either here or someplace else in unity. This, this is part of the future of our church. We're going to need it more and more, I know. So if you've already been through our welcome home process and you're ready to come join this church, you can do that in a minute as we sing. If like Jackson this morning, you realize you want to have a relationship with a God who has offered you free adoption forever, um, and you've never accepted that free gift, you can come forward and do that as well in a moment. However the Spirit leads you, I hope you'll respond.